Hello everyone. I need to really discuss more of my thoughts um, regarding religion. Um, I come to the realization that when it comes to the concept of the divine, it would make sense that the divine recorded itself in our subconsciousness and our consciousness. Because as I have read religious texts, I have found oddities of language. The fact that In religious texts, they don't talk about our modern technology. They don't talk about infrastructure for roads and bridges. They don't talk about medical debt they don't talk about mental illnesses they don't talk about evictions and so on and so forth you would think a book that should be completely prophetic would talk about what's happening now back then but it doesn't so it says a true God would not use human communication methods If a God existed and it wanted to communicate with humans, it would do so in an unambiguous, universal manner. What that means for me is that I don't think that the Bible is totally divine. Because it promotes In a lot of passages, human cruelty and animal cruelty. It says it would not rely on the biased and imperfect means of human communication, especially as it exists in such a rudimentary status thousands of years ago. In other words, why not have the Bible constantly updated? revised to fit our modern time and our modern standards. But all they do is continuously mistranslate ancient penmanship 
which I would not allow if I ruled the universe as God. It says, if God is good in nature and his message is true, and the message of God is important for us, then it holds to reason that a good God would want human beings to know that message. That makes me think about how the comedian Eddie Griffin, he talked about God's word being written in our essence that we're born knowing right from wrong and no one had to tell us that it's immoral to kill our mothers. And I I concur with what he said because when it comes to the concept of God's word, I don't think God's word is totally the Bible. I think that God's word is us. I don't think that the Bible is completely God's poems. God's poems are us. Aren't we all living, breathing, writing genres of God? I'm talking to believers speaking believers lingo so believers can flow with me. Sometimes you got to speak people's language so they can understand what you're saying. So, I think about how the Bible is not totally God's artwork. Isn't God's artworks, aren't God's artworks us? Isn't God's artwork us? That's my question to believers. Then it says, I am sure it also has the knowledge. Before I say that, it says, God in its omnipotence can immediately impart the correct knowledge directly into our consciousness. Hmm. I do think that my statement to believers that God's wisdom is us. It's not totally the Bible. Genesis, I am sure it also has the the know-how to do it in a non-harmful way, given that it designed our brains down to the functioning of millions of neuronal connections and neurotransmitters, etc. Put another way, it must be true that we already know the most important things that God wants us to know and, and God feels like God needs us to know. I concur because um, I have come to the conclusion that This is my statement to believers. The church is not the building. Maybe God's church is us. Maybe God's church is our hearts. God's church is our inner lives. And God's church is our minds. Mm. Maybe 
divine temples are our personalities. Maybe divine synagogues are dispositions. Maybe our divine mosque are our temperaments. Hmm. Maybe those divine centers are our inner beauty. Ah. Maybe religious people, a lot of them have literalized these metaphorical concepts. Hmm. Maybe the moral excellence living in us is the God of us. Mm. Maybe heaven is found in our nobility of character. And maybe prophetic preaching, what if it had nothing to do with piety? What if we say the things that needed to be said that helps someone to begin their healing process? Let's say a man Who's been a, a who who's been a survivor of rape for years, had no one to talk about it with, but one day you mention your love for male rape survivors, which is going to help male rape survivors. That's prophetic preaching. Notice I didn't make it religious, but prophetic preaching is that person is no longer shamed about the pain that society made taboo and made him taboo in the process. Mm. Then it says, whatever various religions, prophets, seekers, mystics, and holy spokespeople say is not exactly 100% what God wants us to know. That I agree with because religions, definitions of religions, religions, definitions of prophets, religious definitions of mystics, religious definitions of seekers, religions, definitions of holy spokespeople are of misalignment to the divine that is breathing in our moral compass. Then it says... There is no reason for a good God which wants and and feels the need for the truth to be known to convey important messages to individual human beings in specific human languages and allow us to spread the message using our own imperfect communication methods. Mm. I totally agree because... Wouldn't God want people to be free of confusion, bewilderment, 
feeling baffled and befuddlement? That's a kind desire, don't you think? And it says, as soon as people started translating it, explaining it to each other, and writing it down, then the message becomes reliant upon cultural understanding. It will dilute, get misunderstood, become contaminated, become tampered with, and it is sure that different communities will come to interpret the message differently, leading to schism and even more confusion, and as history has shown, to physical violence and fatal bloodshed. Yes, when people don't know, they get so angry that they commit human rights abuses against each other. Then it says, therefore, God's important message is universal imparted directly to all of our hearts and minds and are therefore not made subject to human communications errors. Because I do know that God is not a canonical writer. God is not a canonical publisher. God is not an anthological writer. God is not an anthological publisher. God is not a book writer and God is not a book publisher. God is not Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry writes plays. God does not. Tyler Perry makes plays. God does not. Um, Spike Lee is a documentary filmmaker. God is not. Um, Viola Davis and Samuel Jackson are one is an actor, the other is an actress. God is not an actor. God is not an actress. Um, high School Musical days to be featured on Disney were filled with thespians. T-H-E-S-P-I-A-N-S. God is not a thespian. Langston Hughes and Maya Angelou were poets. God is not a poet in terms of the typical sense of being one. Alvin Ailey, dancing legend. God is not a dancer. Eminem and Rakim are rap legends including Little Kim and Trina. God is not a rapper. Mariah Carey and Patti LaBelle are singing legends. God is not a singer.
God doesn't win Oscars. God doesn't win Tonys. God doesn't win Emmys. God doesn't win Grammys. God doesn't win Pulitzer Prize Awards either. God has not yet won the Presidential Medal of Freedom, even though for the most part, every person who's been called President of the United States claims Christianity as their religious faith that they practice. Then it says, if goodness comes from God, then given their historical mistakes, their culture-specific language, moral shortcomings, and the social strife that results from their existence, holy books, in quotations, cannot possibly be from God, 100%. And that is true, 100%, because God does not recite the human alphabet. God does not recite the numerical system. God did not invent the dictionary. God did not invent the thesaurus. God did not invent the encyclopedia. And God doesn't drive cars. God doesn't pay bills when it concerning housing. Um, Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. God did not. Then it says, the whole idea of cultivating the true religion in quotations via the orally transmitted stories of itinerant illiterate preachers such as Jesus and Muhammad and often obscure human languages is nonsensical. Yeah, I have, because some believers would say, some believers, whether they're of Islam and Christianity, would say, well, God helped Muhammad and Jesus be literate. And my thing is, it doesn't make sense for them to be the only literate people on earth. Why not have literacy as the everybody miracle experience? Why not have uh, mathematical skills for everyone? Why do you have to be the only one with mathematical skills? Why not give life skills to everybody? Why do you got to be the only one possessing life skills? That makes no sense. My first miracle would be everybody has each and every kind of life skill needed to live this life properly. That would have been the miracles I would say. You better record that in my books. In fact, I'm going I'm to write the books myself. And my name is Jehovah. That would have been me. So... Why have people unnecessarily ignorant about history, geography, science, math, inventions, reading, and writing? So Jesus gets to have all these skills, but not everybody around him. So some people in Islam would say, God gave Muhammad all those skills, but not everyone around Muhammad. 
that's problematic to me. And it says, the fact that there has never been a universally communicated message from any purportedly supernatural source strongly suggests that if a god or gods exist, that it or that it or they have not made complete contact with humans. Hmm. That's ooh, ooh, ooh. That really just has me thinking because it doesn't always intervene the way humans would like. And when people say, I heard from God, how come it contradicts what other people are saying? I understand, okay, they, some people say God speaks different to different people, but there's just too many contradictions in, in that. I get the whole different message to different people, but why is it that it's easy to contradict God when it comes to people? God said this. Well, God said that. Why would God tell one person to do something positive and God tell another person to do something negative? Why is it so easy to pinpoint God and blame God when it comes to these contradictions, right? Like, what I mean is the way the Bible is written, it's easy to assign God all the blame for all the bad things happening in the world because God is portrayed as someone who is a bloodbather himself. So God does, the Bible writers don't make God look good. According to the Bible, God doesn't make itself look good. Ugh. Then it says that God who interacts in all the ways suggested by all religions present and past can only be seen as being deliberately reclusive, undemocratic, unsympathetic, discriminatory, and unjust. Those are my thoughts exactly. In short, such a God would deserve not worship, but derision. Mm. Again, my thoughts exactly, because the God of the Bible, according to the Bible writers, is a fascist God. The God of the Bible, according to the Bible writers, is an Orwellian God. And then... 
There's some more. Then it says Jesus was not famous. In Mark chapter 1, verses 27 to 28, Jesus is portrayed as causing a sensation around Galilee and becoming famous quite early in his ministry. All the people were amazed and began to ask one another, What is this? A new t- what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even unclean spirits and they obey him. And the news about Jesus spread quickly throughout throughout the whole region of Galilee. I've always been skeptical of that because I've never seen any eyewitness accounts of the residents who allegedly saw that. Um, we don't know their names. We don't know how they felt about Jesus and... We don't know about any me- their ancient media publications of Jesus. They have yet to be found. And that's disheartening to me. Then it says, Later he worked incredible miracles that were witnessed by many, undoubtedly increasing his fame as he stretched his ministry to Judea and Jerusalem. And my thing is, If Jesus was that famous, like he is now, that would have meant that he would have talked to governors much more often. He would have talked to emperors much more often. He would have been in palaces much more often because they would have kept inviting him much more often. And... Jesus would have had a much bigger impact on the ancient military than he did when he was alive much more often. And he would not have been called King of the Jews. If you're that famous, people would have said he's the king. He wouldn't have been limited to one race of people. Mm. And it says this would have generated a plethora of various letters and documents written by contemporary uh, contemporary witnesses. My thing is, how come Jesus didn't invent cameras back then? How come Jesus didn't invent filmography back then? How come Jesus didn't fit, invent videography back then? How come Jesus did not invent cinematography back then? How come Jesus did not invent discography back then? Those would have been the easiest ways to show what I call irrefutable and indisputable evidence. But the Bible lacks 100% irrefutable and indisputable evidence regarding all claims of supernaturalism. And that is burdensome to me. Then it says, but it didn't generate a plethora of various letters and documents written by contemporary witnesses. The following is an excerpt from Bart Ehrman's book, Jesus, Apocalyptic Prophet of the New Millennium. What sorts of things do pagan authors from the time of Jesus have to say about him? Nothing. Or the harshest way, not a damn thing. 
As odd as it may seem, there is no mention of Jesus at all by any of his pagan contemporaries. So wait a minute. Authors can easily verify the existence of Barack Obama, the first black president of the United States, but not Jesus. So... Harriet Tubman has I, has writings that talk about her. There are people who are alive that can attest to that can attest to Harriet Tubman's whereabouts, where she lived, how she sounded, what kind of person she was, and even her medical history. Her, her her marriage, the fact that she was married, and they even can verify how she escaped 19 times and rescued more than 300 black persons from slavery. They can do all that for Harriet Tubman, but nothing when it comes to Jesus. And Barack Obama is a Christian, Harriet Tubman is a Christian. So those two Christians have irrefutable, indisputable evidence about them, but the one who is said to have been the centrality of Christianity, there's no irrefutable, indisputable evidence regarding him. Mm, mm, mm. And it says, there are no birth records, no trial transcripts, no death certificates. There are no expressions of interest, no heated slanders, no passing references, no compliments, nothing. There's no physical descriptions. That's really worrisome. And it says, in fact, if we broaden our field of concern to the years after his death, even if we include the entire first century of the common era, there's not so much as a solitary reference to Jesus in any non-Christian, non-Jewish source of any kind. I should stress that we do have a large numbers of documents from the time, the writings of poets, philosophers, historians, scientists, and government officials, for example, not to mention the large collection of surviving inscriptions on stone and private letters and legal documents on papyrus. And none of this vast array of surviving writings is Jesus' name ever so much as mentioned. So, there's no poetry about Jesus back from the poets. No philosophers created schools of thought regarding Jesus back then. No historians include Jesus in their works to verify that he was historical. No ancient scientists say, hey, we base our science off this guy. And no government officials say, hey, we got our care for the oppressed from him. 
So no government official said, yes, we had political conversations. No scientists said, yes, we had scientific conversations. You know, no scientists saying we had scientific conversations with Jesus. No government officials saying we had political conversations with Jesus. No historians say we had historical conversations with Jesus. No philosophers say that we had philosophical conversations with Jesus. No poets say we had poetic conversations with Jesus. None. Wow. No pagan said, yeah, we had pagan Paganese conversations with Jesus? Mm, mm, mm. This offers compelling evidence that Jesus was either a mythical figure or he was not well known. Ooh. Mm. Most scholars say that he was real, but they would say he was not well known. But at the same time, the religious Jesus does come off as a mythical figure to me. However, the human rights Jesus comes off as somebody that should be well known. Mm. In either case, it could be assumed that the gospel accounts of his life and ministry were significantly exaggerated, which I think it, 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 it's the case because... That is just wild to have nothing about him. So people write about him now, but nothing then? So in the modern times, he's the global icon. But back then, he was just some dude. That's troublesome to me. Then, I, I have more concerns. Okay, I think I talked about this before, but we got it. We got to talk about this again. Um, it says, God has an important message for humankind, but fails to clearly deliver it. So after waiting 200,000 years after modern humans evolved, God decides to deliver an important message to humankind. You would think it is essential that all the people on earth receive this vital message that it is clear and unambiguous. Let's see how that worked out. Jesus is sent to the earth, but he only interacts with a small tribe of Jews in the Middle East, leaving Europe, Asia, Australia, Africa, North America, South America in the dark. Yeah, if Jesus is supposed to be for all nations, why does he get humans to do all that for him? Why not Jesus just have his presence everywhere that way Christians don't have to work overtime to the point of stress to make sure that all nations know about him and convert to Christianity so God is said to do what humans can't why not just make yourself 
known everywhere since you are supposed to be an everywhere present God, that means that no one should be lost and no one should be found because they weren't lost in the first place because you're everywhere. You see everyone and everything. So that makes no sense. Then it says the message of Jesus doesn't even reach all these constants until 1,500 years later. So according to traditionalists, a lot of them would say, well, um, you can't deny God. But how can people even have a chance to confirm or deny if you, they don't hear about them? So according to fire and brimstone traditionalists, people were billions of people were burning in hell have been burning in hell for 1,500 years. All because they didn't get the God memo. Ugh. Jesus did not write anything down, so we can't be sure of his real message. Mm. And Jesus did not publish any of his writings, so we can't be sure of his real message either. Mm. I've... I've always wanted to know if Jesus were alive today how would he respond to television networks claiming to represent him and I came to the conclusion that I I do think that Jesus did not teach Christianity. Um, Because I think Christianity warps Jesus. I think that Jesus was focused on how we treat ourselves and others. He wasn't focused on the domination of all the seven continents and the domination of all the islands. That's what Christianity is about. Then it says, neither Jesus' disciples nor anyone who directly witnessed Jesus' mention wrote down anything nor published anything they written, that they written. All the apparent references to them are forgeries. Mm. This has been sad to me because I now see that religion has been a con and a scam. Because people make it that way. You're told one thing and then... Studious work ethic says something else. Hmm. When someone finally started to document Jesus' life, it is at least 40 to 60 years after he died and is based solely on hearsay 
or what people seem to remember but don't actually remember is what I finish up with because he say, she say, they say is not compelling proof There should be recordings of everything Jesus said and did that should be watched and seen over 2,000 years later. There should be CDs and DVDs of Jesus' supernaturalistic miraculousness. But there isn't any. And that's irksome to me. And it says, even given that, we don't have the originals of what these authors wrote, but only copies of copies of copies. So we have copies of forgery. We have forgery copies of forgery copies of forgery copies. We have tampered copies of tampered copies of tampered copies. We have... Errors and errors and contradiction copies of errors and contradiction copies of errors and contradiction copies. Mm. And then it says, we have direct evidence that many errors were made in the copying process. So, That means we have literary frailties in the non-canonical scriptures and the canonical scriptures. By the way, God is not a non-canonical writer and God is not a non-canonical publisher either. Then it says... We have direct evidence that some stories were added to the originals. Example, deliberate forgery. So, so it is possible more than just possible, it's a fact that psychological manipulation was a part of the biblical agenda. Emotional manipulation was part of the biblical agenda. And intellectual manipulation was a part of the biblical agenda, too. Mm. So, mind games and mind control are ancient literary tactics. Mm. That seem to be biblically inspired. Then it says, we have direct evidence that some of the translations from Hebrew to Greek to English were an error. 
This is how the Hebrew term for young woman became a term in Greek implying a virgin. So how come young man does not imply virgin? You have male virgins that exist. You have non-binary virgins that exist. So virginity is just for females. That's a misogynistic social construct. Mm. Because it assumes that, oh, males are just sexually chaotic people. But we don't call it that. We call that scoring. And non-binary people, they don't exist. It's male, female. The Bible says. So that's ancient discrimination against non-binary people. Hmm. So... Archaic sexism. Wow. And outdated sex negativity, too. And it says, we have multiple translations in English and other languages that over time modernized the terminology, but also inserted subtle changes in meaning. Wow. So, in order for conservative theology to fit itself into the coat hanger as its own coat. We have to make the meanings pro us and anti everybody else. That's not us. And we have to make sure that the terminology fits our religious right agenda and basically say that the Bible writers were the ancient religious right. Then mm. it says, we have direct evidence that some of the most obviously fictional elements of the Bible were edited out in later editions. For example, the reference to various monsters. So, in their minds, well, you know, people are gullible, but they may not be as gullible as we think. So let's edit out in a way where these nitwits are called nitwits because they don't have any wit. That means smarts. So they will. So let's be first century AD BC era cult leaders in the form of literature. That way, in death. We enslave them for centuries in the future. Then it says we have thousands of interpretations of scripture authored by holy men in quotations. I don't call them that, but they're called that. Religious experts or laypersons, each with a different idea of the truth. So that means... Bible fights, Bible version fights, and Bible translation fights, denominational fights, religious belief fights, religious tradition fights, 
and religious practices fights and religious festivity fights. Mm. And it says we have forty we have over forty five thousand denominations of Christianity, each with a different interpretation of the truth. So you have over forty five thousand views of God over 45,000 interpretations of God that is religionized psychosis to me then it says we have no external evidence of anything in the gospels least of which the very existence of an actual preacher named Jesus I'm just amazed that there's so many religious religiousness delusions. There's so many theological hallucinations. And there's so many religious text illusions. Then it says... We have no contemporaneous miracles to provide any evidence of the truth of Christianity. Oh, my. So. That really makes me think how. Religion has a history of being anti-proof, anti-confirmation, anti-verification, anti-substantiation, anti-corroboration, anti-affirmation, anti-authentication, anti-attestation, anti-documentation, anti-support for, anti-backing for, anti-reinforcement for, anti-grounds for, because religion frowns upon the available body of facts and information indicating whether belief or proposition is true or valid. Mm. So religion is not a fan of rules and legal principles that govern the proof of facts in a legal proceeding. Wow. We have an avalanche of scientific discoveries that refute many assertions and stories in the Bible. So, 
Religion is scared of discipline, fields, branch of knowledge, body of knowledge, slash information, slash facts, and areas of study. So, religion flees from the systematic study of the structure and behavior of the physical and natural world through observation, experimentation, and the testing of theories against the evidence obtained. So, religion is discomforted by observation. Religion is pained by experimentation. And religion feels rejected by the testing of theories. So, religion is anti-learning, anti-erudition, anti-education, anti-scholarship, anti-letters, anti-schooling, anti-wisdom, anti-enlightenment, and anti-philosophy. And it says, but after all this, God will judge us if we don't believe, quote-unquote, his message, whatever the hell it is, and send us to a place of eternal torture, pun intended. This is Christianity in a nutshell. It is the nail in the coffin for its believability to any sane, objective, critically thinking person. Such as myself. Wow. I have more of my doubts to share. So, hey, it says AmericanAtheist.org. And a lot of people would go, oh, this is biased against Christianity and religion. I would say I should be able to experience the same truth everywhere. I believe in, I value, I know testing the truth. That means the truth should be the same no matter which website I use. It should be the same whether I'm on a Christian website, a Muslim website, a Judaism website, an atheist website, Gnostic website, a humanist website. It shouldn't matter. The truth should be the same and solidified no matter which source I use, but... That's not the case when it comes to religion. Usually it's not. It says, It is central dogma of all fundamental Christians that the Bible is out error. They teach this conclusion by quote-unquote reasoning that God cannot be the author of false meaning and he cannot lie. Is this true? If written by a perfect being, then it must not contradict itself as a collection of books written by different men at different times over many centuries would be expected to contradict each other. So basically, religion says that critical thinking is pure evil. Religion says that it is demonic to have the analysis of available facts, evidence, observations, and arguments in order to form a judgment by the application of rational, skeptical, and unbiased analysis and evaluation. And then this is what it says. I'll just read it to you. With this in mind, let us have a look at the Bible on several subjects. The Sabbath day. 
Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Exodus chapter 20 verse 8. Romans chapter 14 verse 5. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. The permanence of earth, the earth abideth forever. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 4. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 10. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So that's 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 10. Seeing God, I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Genesis chapter 32 verse 30. No man hath seen God at any time. John chapter 1 verse 18. Human sacrifice. Thou shalt not let any of thy seed pass through the fire to Molech, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. Leviticus chapter 18 verse 21. Judges chapter 11 verse 30 to 31. In Judges though, the tale of Jephthah, who led the Israelites against the Ammonites, is being told, being fearful of defeat, this good religious man sought to guarantee victory by getting God firmly on his side. So he prayed to God, if thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into mine hands, then it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the children of Ammon shall surely be thy be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Again, that was Judges chapter 11, verse 30 through 11. Judges chapter 11, verse 29 to 34. The terms were acceptable to God. Remember, he is supposed to be omniscient and know the future. So he gave victory to Jephthah, and the first whatsoever that greeted him upon his glorious return was his daughter, as God surely knew would happen if God is God. True to his vow, the general made a human sacrifice of his only child to God. Then it says, the power of God. With God, all things are possible. Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. The Lord was with Judah, and he drave out the inhabitants of the mountain, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of iron. Judges chapter 1, verse 19. Personal injury, thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Exodus chapter 21, verses 23 to 25. Matthew chapter 5, verse 39. Ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Matthew chapter 5, verse 39. Uh, circumcision. This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. Genesis chapter 17, verse 10. If ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Galatians chapter 5, verse 2. Incest. Cursed be he that lieth with his sister, the daughter of his father. Or the daughter of this mother. Deuteronomy chapter 27 verse 22. Leviticus chapter 20 verse 17. And if a man shall take his sister, his father's daughter, or his mother's daughter, it is a wicked thing. Leviticus chapter 20 verse 17. But what was God's reaction to Abraham who married his sister, his father's daughter? See Genesis chapter 20 verse 11 through 12. 
And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarah thy wife, I bless her and give thee a son also of her. Genesis chapter 17, verse 15 through 16. You know what? Let's do that biblical study. I don't mind being controversial when I need to be, as y'all already know. So let's let's deal with this. Genesis chapter 20, verse 11 through 12. Abraham replied, I said to myself, There is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother. And she became my wife. That was God's reaction to Abraham, who married his sister, Sarai, who became Sarah. Then it says, trusting God. A good man obtaineth favor of the Lord, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 2. Now consider the case of Jake. Now consider the case of Job. After commissioning Satan to ruin Job financially and to slaughter his shepherds and children to win a petty bet with Satan, God asked Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escueth, escueth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause? Job chapter 2 verse 3. So God is painted as a negative rebel with negative causes. And that Job is perfect, but didn't they say Jesus was the only perfect? More theological, wishy-washy ideas. The writings show iffiness, flip-flopping, and straddling the fence. Then it says the holy lifestyle, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 30. They that rejoice as though they rejoice not. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 7. Go thy way, eat thy bread with joy, and drink thy wine with a merry heart. That They're talking about the holy lifestyle. Punishing crime. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20. I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. Temptation. Let no man say when he is tempted. Notice there's no women and non-binary people in this. I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. James chapter 1, verse 13. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. I thought jealousy was ungodly, but it's godly for God to have that. Why give yourself what you say other people shouldn't have? Mm. Then it says family relationships. Exodus chapter 20 verse 12. Honor thy father and thy mother. Luke chapter 14 verse 26. If any man come to me, hate not his father and mother and wife and children, brethren and sisters, yeah, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. But this is Mr. Love Your Enemies claiming to, to say it's okay to hate certain people. 
it's another um, biblical tap dance, which is frightening. Then it says, Resurrection of the dead. He that goeth down to the grave shall come up no more. Job chapter 7, verse 9. The hour is coming which all that are in their grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. Job chap- John chapter 5, verse 28 through 29. The end of the world, verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Matthew chapter 16, verse 28. Notice the cis-heteropatriarchal language, which is which is grotesque. Then it says, Luke chapter 21, verse 32 through 33. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be, pa- till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But people claim to go to heaven when they die. And they talk about a new earth and a new heaven in the Bible. That's another religiosity conundrum. Isn't that a saintly dilemma too? Mm. What is so saintly? about the opposite day climate within within religious texts verses. And it says, Romans chapter 13, verse 11 to 12. And that knowing the time that now is a high time to waken out of sleep, to wake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. James chapter 5 verse 8. Be also patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. First John chapter 2 verse 18. Little children, it is the last time and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. By the end of, of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. I say again. These words are written between 1,800 and 1,900 years ago. Were meant to warn and prepare the first Christians for the immediate end of the world. Some words are those supposedly straight out of the mouth of the Son of God. Which I beg to differ. The world did not end 1,800 or 1,900 years ago. All that generation passed away without any of the things foretold coming to pass. No amount of prayer brought it about, nor ever so much patience and belief in sober living. The world went on as usual, indifferent to the spoutings of yet another batch of doomsday prophets with visions of messiahs dancing in their deluded brains the world by surviving makes the above passages contradictions conclusion what is incredible about the bible is not its complete divine authorship which is no such thing as the bible is that such a concoction of contradictory nonsense could be believed by anyone to have been written by an omniscient god to do so one would first have to not read the entire book which is the 
practice of most Christians. To do so would first have to not fully research the entire book, which is also the practice of most Christians, or if one does read it and research it, dump in the trash can one's rational intelligence to become a fool for God, in other words. All Bible quotes from the authorized King James Version of the Bible, New York, Aberdale Press, 1965. This is an adaptation of an article originally written by a former interim president and current member of the board of directors, Frank Zindler. To be an atheist, agnostic, a secularist, a humanist, one need only be able to laugh when such obvious nonsense is offered as being, quote, unquote, completely divine truths. And then I, I noticed something that has also troubled me. Um, I've come to the conclusion that um, religion tells people to abhor the application of critical thinking which includes self-directed, self-disciplined, self-monitored, and self-corrective habits of mind, which are offensive to the foundations of religion, by the way. Thus, a critical thinker, which makes religion unhappy, is a person who practices the skills of critical thinking or has been trained and educated in his disciplines and Religion tries to tell the person to dismiss those skills. Religion says that the mind of a critical thinker which engages the person's intellectual abilities and personality traits means that they are hell-bound demons from Beelzebub. Religion says that Critical thinking presupposes its ascent to rigorous standards of excellence and mindful command of their use in effective communication and problem solving and commitment to overcome egocentrism and sociocentrism is all worthy of perdition and captivity inspired by Satan. And religion says that it's crying tears of depression because so many people are properly utilizing the objective analysis and evaluation of an issue in order to form accurate judgments.
And why fight over the messengers, but not absorb the golden rule message that came from the golden rule messengers, such as both Muhammad and Jesus? Jesus's cross has not been found by archaeological diggings. And not all crosses were T-shaped. Some were X-shaped. Verse 